Hear the word of God from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. These readings come from the Common English Bible. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any sharing in the Spirit, any sympathy, complete my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, being united, and agreeing with each other. Don't do anything for selfish purposes, but with humility think of others as better than yourselves. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out what is better for others. Adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he did not consider being equal with God something to exploit, but he emptied himself. By taking the form of a slave and by becoming like human beings, when he found himself in the form of a human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly honored him and gave him a name above all names, so that at the name of Jesus, everyone in heaven, on earth, and under the earth might bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Lynn. Just put it right there. Great. Thank you. I'm going to move just so I can kind of have a better view. Well, Justin mentioned that the last several days we have been, all of the clergy staff of the church and several of our lay leaders, our lay delegates, have been over in Lakeland at Florida Southern College attending with all the clergy throughout the Florida Conference our annual gathering. It's called Annual Conference. (laughs) And it was a great week. It really was as we kind of celebrated that this is the 50th year of being the United Methodist Church and remembering who we are was kind of our theme. So what did we do? People always want to know that. We elected committee members and we heard testimonies about the way forward and we passed the annual budget. We reconnected with our mission priorities, which had to do with disaster response after Irma or the church school partnerships. We reaffirmed our covenants with Cuba and Haiti and Angola. We chartered three new congregations. This was so exciting. One was a Hispanic congregation. One was a Haitian congregation. And one is a congregation on their website. It says they are a church made of misfits. For those who haven't felt truly comfortable in church for a long time, if ever. So that was a very exciting night. We listened to some powerful teaching by Dr. Paul Chilcote. And we heard some moving sermons by Bishop Sue Hopper Johnson of North Georgia and Bishop Gregory Palmer of West Ohio. We voted on a few resolutions. We learned about a beautiful ministry called Zoe, which really worked with the, with the most vulnerable children, orphans, helping them to become uh, sustainable and having lifestyle and how to get the skills they need. Some of us, I will say, I was the only one of our clergy out there, except Amy Green joined me. Um, We had a very early 5K race at 6.30 in the morning, a race to uh, make money for disaster response and also just simply for good health. It was a lot of fun. It was probably the the biggest highlight, though, was the licensing, the commissioning, and the ordaining of women and men who have been set apart for ministry. And it was very exciting, a great week indeed, as we did the work of the church and celebrated the witness of our larger connection together. So I mentioned that 
during the week, Bishop Sue Hopper Johnson, she was a minister in this. She actually came out of Hyde Park or had, had been here for a time in her younger years when they went to law school and then felt the call to ministry, and now she's a bishop. So she has come back, and she preached for us one night. And it was great to see her and reconnect, but at, just after she read her text from Second Corinthians, she paused and said this, Thank goodness for church fights. Without them, our canon, our Bible, would be a lot smaller, and we wouldn't have half of the New Testament. Well, it was kind of humorous, but it really was quite true. For most of Paul's letters in the New Testament were written to the nascent church, the, the blooming, the beginning, budding congregations, as they were learning how to live out their faith in this one that they now call Jesus the Lord. I mean, think of it. Christianity didn't come with this set of rules and regulations. It wasn't a unified movement when it began. It was a bunch of disciples following Jesus, and then it, it spread from there. There was no way that it could have been so tidy and neat at first. It's always been different people telling their version of of the faith and sharing it. And so from what I've learned, it seems that it was a very diverse movement from the very beginning, and the followers of the way moved into different cultures using different languages, sharing the faith. Incredible differences have, of opinion have always been there. So Paul was proclaiming the faith and encouraging the early adopters, those first followers of Christ, uh, how to encourage them how to get along and how to learn how to, to live as Christ community. It's true in our text, and it's also true in the core conviction that we're trying to highlight today, uh, trying to get to the heart of who is this Jesus? Who is Jesus? It's okay. It's okay. Let the children come unto me. I think Jesus said that a number of times. So who is this Jesus, and how do we explain, proclaim, and remain faithful to him? In our text that Mary read for us, um, the Apostle Paul is actually writing from a time when he was under house arrest, uncertain of his own future, hoping to be released soon. But he writes a letter of encouragement to the people in the church in Philippi. He was writing to this brand new band of followers because they were squabbling. He, you know, we still have church differences of opinion to even today and we can we are a human made institution made up of forgiven people but we are human and so Paul is writing to them to address the situation of of unrest they were not getting along and Paul is calling the people to unity calling the people to be of one mind and with humility think of others as better than yourselves I love the way the message translation does it it says this if you have gotten anything out uh, at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in the community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. That's deep-spirited. Put yourself aside and put others, help them get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. 
Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves in the way of Christ Jesus thought of himself. Yes, be like Jesus. Imitate him. Follow him. And do as he called us to do. So that's one thing that's going on in the text that Mary read. That's the first part. It's a call to unity in the church. But then right after that, Paul goes into a section that he describes. He begins to clarify, explain, to help make clear some important characteristics of Jesus and the nature of who this one is. He goes on to recite what is believed to be one of the earliest hymns of the church, the next four or five verses in, those, in that hymn, that statement of faith, it's more than just the lyrics of a song. It is deep belief about the nature of Christ. Who is Jesus? So beginning in verse 6, it says, Though he was in the form of God, though he was like God, he was equal with God, he was at the same status with God, he did not consider being equal with God something to exploit. So when the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and he emptied himself. He let himself be filled with God and anything that was getting in the way of that he was, was gone. He took on the status of a slave and became human like us. And he stayed human. You know, he wasn't like some superhero that just kind of touched down on earth and then flew away somewhere. He stayed human his whole life. He experienced all the joys and pains, the thrills and sadnesses of this real life human body that we live in. He was among us. The message also says he lived a selfless and obedient life. And then he died a selfless and obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything ever so that all created beings would worship him. Who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus today for you? He's the son of God who chose to live among us so that he could restore our relationship with God and with one another. He's the one who gave his life for us for the forgiveness of sins and calls us to follow and live as forgiven people, offering forgiveness to one another. This, my friends, is central to our faith. And if you think about it, that is the core conviction of this section of the Apostles' Creed. If you weren't here last week, or if you were here, you heard that we are starting this series on We Believe, some of our core convictions, and we're using some of the earliest creeds, particularly the Apostles' Creed. So last week, we looked at God, the Creator. This week, the second week, we're looking at Jesus, the Son. The Apostles' Creed, let me just say, is probably the most widely used theological summary of Christian belief. If not the Apostles' Creed, then that and the Nicene Creed. It's imperfect, but it is a statement of belief that is the best effort of the church to explain the essentials of our faith. With all these different voices, this is the best effort that was honed over hundreds of years to be the essential tenets of the faith. 
The Apostles' Creed doesn't actually talk a lot about the content of Jesus' life that we read about in the Bible. That's where we learn what he taught and where he traveled and went. But this creed is basically the broader themes about the work and nature of God as Trinity, as God, Father, and Jesus, Son, and Holy Spirit. So last week was God, this week Jesus, this section of the creed. It's the largest section, and it brings us to earth in the person of Jesus Christ as God who comes to live among us, live with us in flesh and blood. And then we also proclaim something else. Not only was he born and lived a human life, but when he enters the world, he also suffers and he dies The creed says he suffered under Pontius Pilate. That gives it a historical time frame. He was crucified, dead, and buried, and rose again. These are significant statements about Jesus. He lived, oh yes, and we know the stories of how he lived and what he taught and how he cared and how he broke barriers and how he lifted people up. We know about that, but we also know that he suffered and died and rose The statement is uh, born out of much discussion over many theological arguments over several hundred years, beginning back in the big uh, Council of Nicaea in 325, and then following there were seven ecumenical, seven more ecumenical councils. So we won't go into all those today, I promise. I can't keep them straight myself, but they're trying, the point of them, they're trying to understand Jesus's humanity and divinity Was he entirely mortal or was he really God in human form? What's the relationship between God and Jesus? Are they father and son, both divine and one? Are they separate beings, father and son, yet both divine? I mean, people argued and called each other heretics over the several hundred years. They argued in an effort, though, to come together. There was, these were some of the first efforts to attain a consensus in the assembly of church representing all of Christendom, all of the lands where it had gone. It's pretty amazing stuff, really, if you think about it. So last week before conference, McGray and I were met and we just were talking about this creed. What part do we want to pull out? And the part that really speaks to me is that, that God is with us. He chose to come and live among us. And he chose to enter the story that he helped to create. And he calls us to life. He comes to our earth and seeks us out, wants relationship with us. He doesn't send somebody else to do it. God himself comes and stays with us, Emmanuel, to bring us back home, to restore our relationship with God and one another. And when we affirm the Apostles' Creed, that's what we're saying. Uh, The author, Madeline um, Lingle, in her book, A Stone for a Pillow, put it this way. The virgin birth, it has never been a major stumbling block in my Christianity, for it is far less mind-boggling than that the God of all creation would stoop so low as to become one of us. That is the risky, passionate, crazy love of God. It's a love that stoops down to us, to be in relationship with us. In the person of God's only son, he comes as the one to destroy death and bring us back to God. 
1940, probably very few, if any of us, were alive. But there was a big war going on in Europe, and London was being bombed. And at that time, the present Queen of England, that is King, King George and Queen Elizabeth, that is the present-day England's Queen's mom and dad. Okay, they're now deceased, but back then, King George and Queen Elizabeth made the decision against the recommendation of their government to stay in Buckingham Palace. And when asked about it, the queen said this, the queen mother, the children will not leave unless I do. I will not leave unless their father does. And the king will not leave this country in any circumstance whatsoever. So they stayed. Well, a few months later, in September, Buckingham Palace was bombed, and death came very close to them that day. That afternoon, they left the palace, though, not to run away from danger. Rather, they ran toward danger, peril, and pain as they went to visit their people in the west part of London in West Ham. That day, they made a choice to be with their people, to love them, even if it meant danger to themselves. And that was a powerful act of solidarity and unity and accompaniment. It made an impression on the people of England. One commentator put it this way, At a time when the very institution of the monarchy was under attack, some people credit the repeated actions of risky love by the royal family as being far more important for the survival of the monarchy than any argument or defense. The real flesh and blood presence, the love, humility, and courage of people of privilege and power who could have stayed safe. They could have stayed away, but they chose, chose to join the others. In the midst of their pain and suffering and danger, this act contained power not only to bring hope, but to change people's minds and lives. They made a choice to be with their people. Jesus made a choice to be with his people. This is what we're saying when we affirm the Apostles' Creed. It's the idea that God has chosen to be with us, and there is nowhere that we can go. That is, with, that is too far out of that bounds. There, even in our most profound situations of deepest grief or our shame or our pain, he's with us and promises never to leave. This week while I was in Lakeland, one day I realized the date and I realized oh, it was my grandmother Sarah's birthday. Well, she's long been to see she would be 126 if she had been alive still she lived in palmetto just down the road a bit and she was a very petite woman and she was funny she had the funniest sayings you would <clears throat> belch and she'd say oh, something you et no doubt <laughs> or she you know you're in sitting in front of her in the tv and she couldn't see through you you've been drinking muddy water huh she had all these funny little sayings and and quirky things and but she taught me by her actions and her words and her prayers about the faith. And I remember visiting her one time, and she was reading a book by Corey Ten Boom called The Hiding Place. You may have read it or have ever heard of it. It's um, based during World War II. And 
there was a season for me where this book, after I read it and watched the movie as well, it really was an anchor for me in my own faith, helping me to make some sense of the brokenness in this world. But I remember this story from that book, and it's a, um, the two sisters, Corey and her sister Betsy, had been discovered hiding Jewish friends in their home, and they are taken to Ravensbrook, a very bad concentration camp. It was awful. The, when they got there, the room they were put in not only was infested with fleas, but had 1,400 women in the room. Whew, yeah, it was awful. But there was something remarkable. These two women had smuggled a Bible in with them. And so they began to gather anyone who wanted to gather with them to read stories together. This is how Corey writes. Soon a growing crowd of women began to gather for these reverential worship times. Life-giving truth was read from the New Testament, first in German and then translated into French, Polish, Russian, Czech, and Dutch. Prayers were whispered, hymns were softly sung, and gradually life in these miserable barracks began to dramatically change. Before, there had been the continual sound of sobbing and brawling and cursing, but now the room buzzed with considerate words and even the sound of gentle singing. Sadly, that December, Betsy died. But before she died, she told her sister that you have got to survive and you have got to be a witness to this experience. You must tell them what we have learned. You must tell them that there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. There is no place you can go that God is not there with you. Jesus with us, Emmanuel. They will listen to you, Corey, because we have been here. Friends, there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. I would like us to end today by sharing together the Apostles' Creed. And I don't know that Matt's prepared to uh, put it up on the screen. But, okay, there it is. Uh, but if you could just, as you share it together, as we say it aloud, I would like you to think about both Christ's divinity and his humanity, but also really think of that middle section that speaks of how he came to be with us. Aha, there we go. Ready? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Will you pray with me? 
Oh, gracious God, we thank you for this creed. We thank you for the essentials of the faith that it proclaims. And I pray that not any of us would get hung up on any one part that might give us a little concern. I pray that we would recognize how you, Jesus, have chosen to be with us and you promised never to leave us. How you, Jesus, have made a way back to right relationship with God and with one another. So help us to hear your word of truth. Help us to experience your love and help us to freely share it. We pray in your name. Amen.